Chapter Twenty of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Six. Ned found it excruciatingly painful to face Mike when he returned to school after his suspension. During his time at Hillstown, Ned had grown very close to the teacher coach, who had been so generous with his time and his attention toward him. Mike, he realized, was an extraordinary person. He was an excellent teacher and a fine coach. But more than that, he was a fine friend, who took genuine pleasure in the contacts he had with his students outside of class. He was by all odds the most popular teacher in Hillstown, and yet everybody knew and took for granted that friendship with him outside of class would never influence his behavior in class. In fact, a student who had spent time socially with him, he was a welcome guest at many homes, was always careful to prepare especially well for Mike's class the next morning, as he was almost certain to be called on. Mike's friends among the students knew that they could not count on that friendship to secure any advantage in class. Mike had no teacher's pets, and everybody knew it. He was unfailingly courteous, patient, and absolutely impartial. It was in all likelihood because of this that nobody in the school ever attributed to Ned, Walter, and other friends of the coach any ulterior motive. Mike, they knew, would have no truck with apple polishing. So Ned found it very difficult to tell Mike. He never seriously entertained the thought of defying his uncle in the matter. Father Bolton had explained some time ago that a guardian has the same authority as a parent, and Ned was therefore bound to obey Owen. So he waited until the small group that always surrounded Mike after class melted away, and then he told him, "'Uncle Owen has given me orders not to see you or speak to you outside of class,' he said, his face hot and flushed. Mike was silent. Ned looked up and saw that his face was bleak with anger. Then the teacher put his hand on Ned's shoulder and squeezed it gently. I'm sorry, he said quietly. Mind telling me why? He was mad at me for fighting with Rob Kingsley, and I guess he figures not seeing you outside of class will hurt. I don't know, Mike. I get confused every time I try to figure out why. It's just a punishment, that's all, I think. It's all right, Ned, Mike said softly. I understand. Then he grinned slowly. Outside of class, is it? Well, any time you feel the need of extra class, say the word. Then maybe you'd better go home. Don't hang around the gym anymore after school. Your uncle will probably check, and there's no use giving him reason to think you're disobeying him. And don't worry, Ned. I understand. They shook hands, and Ned left, feeling much better. Mike was right. Owen was at the house when Ned arrived, busy washing the car. He looked, Ned thought, somewhat nonplussed at his arrival, as if surprised and slightly disappointed, because Ned had done what he had been told. Feeling a little lost, Ned went into his room, turned on the radio, and opened a book at random. This was the first time in months that he had not had something strenuous and exciting to do after class. He realized for the first time how largely Mike, as athletic director, loomed in his life. The radio, to which Ned hardly ever listened, was tuned to the local station and was playing a plaintive ballad about a cowboy who sought his true love through endless verses to the accompaniment of a twanging guitar. After a few minutes, the sad music got on his nerves, and he was reaching out to change the station when the song ended. An announcer, with a somewhat adenoidal voice, informed the world that there would be a town meeting the following evening at the Hillstown High School Gymnasium. His Honor, the Mayor, would preside, and, as vital subjects were to be discussed, all were urged to be there promptly at eight o'clock. Ned decided to take a shower and go for a walk. He had a couple of books that had to go back to the library, and maybe he could drop in at the hospital and chat a while with Mr. Drew, who was now well enough to have visitors. Mostly, he simply wanted to stretch his legs and get rid of some of the energy he usually worked off in the gym. 
Miss Deeb was not there. It was her day off. Her replacement, Mrs. Harlow, was a thin-lipped woman, who disapproved sternly of all conversation in the library, even by and with the librarian. So Ned simply returned the books and went on. At the hospital he was informed that Mr. Drew was asleep and was not to be disturbed. He wrote a brief note and left, to wander aimlessly up one street and down another, nodding now and then to people he knew, stopping a couple of times to watch groups of youngsters at their play. Finally he found himself in the grove, and walked over to the hole in the fence. As he was examining it, he heard a sound and turned to find Robson Kingsley watching him. So, Kingsley said, that's how you got in. That's how, Ned nodded. And now you can't go in any more, can you? Robson crowed. You're a good, obedient little boy, and your uncle said to stay out, didn't he? Ned found the mockery in his tone highly offensive, but he merely shrugged and said nothing. Well, Robson informed him, I'm going in. Why tell me? Ned shrugged again. I don't care what you do. I'll tell you why, Robson said, because I know they're building a spaceship, and I'm going to wreck it. That's why. Sure, Ned replied. You're going to wreck it. Tear it apart with your own lily white hands and scatter the pieces, I suppose. Robson's face suddenly had a sly look on it. Oh, I can wreck it. Don't you worry about that. I'll lie awake all night, Ned said ironically. All right, wise guy, all right, you'll find out. He stepped into the gully, pulled himself up on the other side of the fence, and leered at Ned. You'll find out. He turned his back and started scrambling up the hill. Ned watched him through the fence, feeling an awe sense of uneasiness. Robson was insane, and he sounded perfectly sure of his ability to wreck the ship. What if a bold, unexpected move, without apparent logic, would enable him to do it? Ned decided not to take a chance. Without a moment's hesitation, he pulled the white porcelain whistle out of his pocket, put it to his lips, and blew. The strange, silent vibration made his head ring. Robson disappeared over the crest of the hill, and Ned waited, wondering. Suppose they didn't hear. Suppose Robson eluded the green-clad guards, and somehow managed to damage the Santa Maria. Suppose... He waited in an agony of suspense for what seemed hours. From nowhere, on the other side of the hill, he heard voices. Then there came the sound of an approaching jeep, engine racing furiously. Robson's voice rose in a wild howl, and there were shouts, cries of warning, and a roar of rage. Ned waited, fingers gripping the steel mesh of the fence, ears straining to catch and interpret the noises from beyond the hill. Suddenly Robson appeared, running as if his life depended on it, his face white with terror. Behind him loomed the huge, familiar figure of Steve, catching up fast. Robson flung himself recklessly down the hill, stumbling and rolling head over heels into the gully. Miraculously, he didn't seem to be hurt. With the agility of a cat, he scrambled toward the hole in the fence and was halfway through it when the big hand closed around his ankle. Furiously, Robson lashed out with his other foot. His heavy shoe caught Steve across the knuckles so that the grip relaxed. That was all Robson needed. With agility born of terror, he hurled himself forward under the fence. The ends of the steel mesh caught on his trousers. There was a loud ripping sound, and Robson was on his feet, racing away. Steve stood up on the other side of the metal barrier, rubbing his bruised knuckles, his face grim. The kid had a grenade, he muttered incredulously. He's nutty as a fruitcake. Imagine a grenade. Robson halted in his flight some thirty yards away and turned to face the two at the fence. Shaking his fist and glaring at them with a malevolence that transformed the bruised, handsome face into a portrait of hideous rage. 
Ned looked at the bottom of the fence where it ran above the gully and saw the fairly large strip of cloth hanging from it like a limp banner. He stopped and pulled it free. Robson, becoming aware of the loss, twisted around for a few moments, trying to say the extent of the damage. Then he gave it up and felt around with his hands. The fingers he held up were stained red. He was bleeding, and the knowledge served only to intensify his rage. Furiously, he shook his fist at Ned and Steve, his voice rising in a fury stream of obscenities. Then he pulled off his shirt and wrapped it around his waist like an apron that hung down his back and covered the damage. "'I'll get you!' he kept shouting all the while, practically foaming at the mouth. "'I'll get you all if it's the last thing I do. I swear I'll get you!' His voice rose into a wild cry of frustration, and he turned his back and raced away. "'You coming in?' Ned shook his hand at the question. "'Tell Andy and Nancy hello. My uncle won't let me go see them.' "'I'll do that.' Thanks for whistling. Duke was having a hard time with that crazy kid. Don't forget. Any time you need, blow. That kid's going to make trouble. Watch out for him. I will, Ned promised. I will. Don't worry. Somebody'd better worry, Steve replied grimly. Imagine a grenade. Shaking his head in wonderment, the big man turned and climbed up the hill and out of sight. Ned stood watching until he disappeared. Then Ned headed for home. He was sure there was going to be more trouble with Owen about this. End of chapter 20